James chapter number 1 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 22. James chapter number 1, verse number 22, very familiar passage of Scripture to many of us tonight. And so you read along as I read James chapter number 1, verse number 22. The Word of God says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a doer of the word, or a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would accomplish in each and every heart that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, we know that you're capable to bring about great and mighty things in our hearts tonight. You're able to penetrate to the very depth of the issues of our life. God, we know you're able to lay your divine finger upon that area which you covet the most in our everyday walk. We ask you to do it tonight, Lord, in such a way that would bring glory only to you, and we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, I believe this is one of the most important messages that you'll ever hear. I won't necessarily say it'll be the best message you'd ever hear. I won't necessarily say it'll be preached uh, the best that you could hear it preached. But the substance of what I want to talk about tonight literally makes the difference between those that are merely saved but living in discouragement and those that truly live the Christian life. Let me say to you tonight that not everybody that's saved is living the Christian life. There's plenty of folks that know Christ as their Savior. They've been to Calvary. They've been born again, but they live in constant defeat and discouragement. We have before us tonight in our hands the holy, inspired, preserved Word of God. But this book can become a dead book to you if you don't give heed to what we're going to preach on tonight. If you don't take heed to what's going to be said this evening, this book will seem closed and dead and dry to you. You'll read it, get nothing out of it. It'll be a bore to you and a burden to you, something that you merely do because that's what people expect you to do, or you may do as many, and that's close it and leave it on the bookshelf between services. But by the same token, if you'll take heed to what is preached to you tonight and the truths of God's Word, it can make this book, which is the very and the only living book, the only book that has the words of peace and of life, the only book in this world that can radically change you, not through your own self-will, but in a supernatural way, a book that can transform your life to the glory of God. If you'll take heed tonight to what's preached, it can be a book like that to you too. There's lots of folks get bored with the Word of God. And they they use excuses. They say, well, you know, all those these and the thous and, you know, all the so-and-so begat so-and-so and... And uh, they'll go down the line and say, well, it's just not for me. Well, it is for you. It is for you. But the problem is, this is not a book to be absorbed academically. It's a book to be absorbed spiritually. This is not a book merely meant for intellectual study. It's not meant merely, as one fellow put it, it's not a decorative cake to be kept under glass, but it's our daily bread to sustain us 
and to satisfy us in this Christian walk. And so tonight I want to say just a few words about the verses in front of us. I'm going to do my best to be brief this evening. Uh, I, I always try to preach a short message if I can. And I've never been able to, but I'm going to try again tonight if I can. Let me say a word about verse number 22. Look at it with me. The Bible says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, there are truths in the Word of God that fall into two different categories. One is an explicit truth. You say, Preacher, what do you mean by an explicit truth? I mean a truth that is laid out there for you, uh, ink on paper. Uh, You can't avoid it. You can't run from it. It's just right there in front of you. You'll either deny it or accept it. And then there's what we call implicit truths. And that's sort of reading between the lines, listening for what's said without being said. And I want us to notice this evening that for the audience that James is writing to, and I believe that audience includes me and you, don't you believe this is for us tonight? That it is implicit that those folks have the Word of God. Can I say that we live in a generation of folks that believe there's much doubt as to whether we have the Word of God? But I believe tonight that God could not satisfy us with every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. God could not hold us accountable to every passage that's set before us. Uh, God couldn't hold preachers accountable for preaching the whole counsel of God, except we have the Word of God preserved inerrantly and it's in, in its entirety. You see, what we have here in front of us is not just the Word of God. It's all of the Word of God. It's not just the Word of God. It's exactly the Word of God. It's not just the Word of God. It's the very words of God. In other words, it's not just the ideals, it's not just the teachings, but we have here before us the very inspired Word of God. You say, well, preacher, it was inspired when it was given, and it's been preserved ever since. Amen? Yeah, it was inspired when it was given, and it's been preserved ever since. And some folks say, well, but that preservation's not inspiration. If the preservation is not inspiration, then the preservation was no preservation at all. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm not trying to tie you up in words now. I'm just trying to give you some truths. I'm saying if any bit of inspiration was lost in the preservation, then it wasn't any preservation at all, was it? One preacher put it this way. He said, if I can green beans one month and I open them up six months later, if they ain't green beans, I did something wrong. Amen? This is the inspired Word of God been preserved inerrantly for us. And what we do with it is going to determine what our life is. I mean, this is a serious matter tonight. I'm not trying to attribute any false soberness to this truth and to this thought and to this message. This literally is one of the most vital and important passages that we could talk about this evening because there's lots of folks dissatisfied with Christ. And it's not really that Christ has done anything wrong. It's that they've grown distant from His Word. And if you grow distant from His Word, you'll grow dissatisfied with Him. You see, it's implicit that we have the Word of God in this passage. We couldn't be doers of the Word without first being hearers of the Word. We couldn't be hearers of the Word if we didn't have the Word. That, to me, is a remarkable truth this evening. I I want us to notice, first off, the privilege of hearing the Word of God. 
Now, I'm not saying the privilege of hearing me preach. (laughs) If you're thinking that way now, give it time. You won't be thinking that way long. I'm not talking about the privilege of being here at this church tonight. I love the church. I think it's a blessing to be here tonight. But that's not the privilege I'm talking about. I'm talking about the great and burdensome even privilege that it is to have the Word of God. I want to say first off that the existence of God's Word is a privilege. It is a privilege that God spoke to humanity. I mean, are you aware how radical of a notion that that is? That is a purely divine and heavenly notion. For you'll find in every single religion, and I'm not talking about Christianity, because Christianity isn't a religion, but in every single religion, there is a purposed distance between the deity and its followers. They occupy that distance with various books in various languages that various people can't variously understand, with an ecclesiastical priesthood to try to put a barrier, with a vicar that sits upon a throne claiming to be Christ here on the earth, with a set of unsurmountable standards that no man can live up to. You say, but preacher, now Christianity has some unsurmountable standards. Oh, yes, it does. But we have a Savior that fulfilled every one of those insurmountable standards. We're allowed into His righteousness when we're justified by faith in Him. You see, there's a distance placed, but not in Bible Christianity. What does the Word of God say in the book of Deuteronomy? It said, The Word is not far, it is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth. The fact of the matter is the very truth that God would speak to us is a baffling thing. That the divine heart and mind of God has something to relate to you and me. I mean, are are you aware of how many quote-unquote religions in this world are based in veiled mystery and we have a book of revelation? Do you know how many religions in this world where the God is uh, either in some transcendental existential state or... Uh, Like the Muslims, their God is up on the moon. Amen? That's silly. (laughs) That's silly. My God is not that far from me, for He said, you and me and us in Him, speaking of the Father. We have a God that desires to be close to us. We have a God that's not afraid to be close to us. I'm not saying that His ways are our ways or His thoughts are our thoughts. We know that's not so. And I'm not saying that God is like us, for if God was like us, we wouldn't have very much of a God. But in all of His love and compassion and grace, God has sought to relate to us the truths in His blessed mind through His blessed Word. That's a privilege that the Word of God exists. That God gave His Word, that God spoke to humanity, and that He did it in such a way that there wouldn't have to be any doubt. Oh, I know there's doubt today, but that doubt is birthed out of a corrupt and rebellious and reprobate society and movement. We have no need to doubt whether we have God's Word. They choose to doubt that we have God's Word, but there's no need to doubt that we have God's Word. Do we really believe that God is so short-sighted that He would inspire His Word and not preserve it? How foolish! Do we believe that God was so ignorant that He didn't realize that animal skins and vellum and parchments would, through the natural course of time, that they would decay away and be destroyed and lost, leaving God without His inspired witness in this world? God's not a fool. 
God gave His Word and God preserved it, and the very existence of it is a privilege to you and I. We ought, we ought to reverence this book. It ought to be precious to us. We ought to treat it as something precious, because it is. We don't realize what it took for this Word to be sitting here in our hands. I think the existence of the Word of God, I think that's a privilege to you and I. We can be hearers because God gave His Word. But I think not only the existence of God's Word, I think the availability of God's Word is a privilege, don't you? Do you are, are you aware? I was talking to a missionary just back of this. Are you aware how many languages there are that don't have a Bible? Are you aware how many people groups in the world, they can't do what we've done tonight. They can't open the Bible and read it. They don't have it. But you and I, we treat it with such disregard at times. Why? Because it is so prevalent. You can go down, you can even go down to major retailers and pick up a cheap copy of the Word of God, or no copy of it's cheap, but a cheaply made one. Anywhere you go, the Word of God seems to be available to you. That's a privilege. It's a privilege that we're not having to have scraps of paper mailed to us through censored hands so that we can meet and have church. It's a privilege that we have the Word of God in our language. I had somebody ask me the other day, say, well, what about so-and-so? Mention the people group. What about them? I said, well, I don't know about them, but I know I have the Word of God. Amen? I don't know about them. I, I, I think there's lots of... I, I, I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to people having a Bible in their own language. But many times the people that promote that kind of thinking are doing it at the disregard of the King James Bible. And I made this statement to this man. He said, well, what about those people groups? And I said, well, listen, here's my problem. My problem is this. My problem is not that those folks don't have a Bible and I'm not trying to stop folks from getting them a Bible. My problem is the hundred and some odd corrupt versions that we've got in English. It's a far cry, two different scenarios. And they want to proclaim and tell, oh, all these people groups, they need a Bible, they need a Bible, they need a Bible. And yet, where are the resources being invested? They're not being invested in giving the Kenyans a Bible. They're not being invested in, in, in uh, giving these these uh, obscure people groups a Bible. Instead, it's the next new camouflage, gender-neutral, dynamic equivalent, uh, paraphrased mess to come out of the same society that brings us the the corrupt music movement that we see today in this world that we live in. Uh, You can't tell me that those are bosom buddies, the need of some people groups to have a Bible and then all of these corrupt versions that are out there. It's getting to the place you don't even know what they are anymore. And listen, I didn't come in today to pick a fight on the Bible, but I think this is important that we understand what a privilege it is for us to have the Word of God. Not everybody has the Word of God, but you and I, we've got it. It's available to us. I think the availability of God's Word is a privilege, but I think the allowing of God's Word is a privilege. I don't know about you, but I didn't have to drive through any checkpoints to get to God's house tonight. I didn't have to follow any cryptic symbols upon building sides to find my way to a place where we could worship and hear the Word of God. Now, we may come to a day, and I believe we're swiftly coming to a day, when it will be an illegal thing to hold this precious book in your hand. I think there will come a day where this will be considered a tool of hate crimes. And they'll seek to burn it, stomp it out, and take it away. But for now, it's a privilege that we're allowed to meet and to worship in this way. That's a privilege 
There's folks, do you realize there's places in this world where people are literally risking their lives to make it to God's house tonight? I mean, there's, and I'm not fussing at the folks that's here. I mean, God bless you. I, I'm not trying to preach at the Sunday morning crowd that ain't here on Wednesday night. I, I, I know you're here because you love the Word of God. But I'm merely saying there's lots of folks sitting at home uh, watching a ball game, watching some sort of foolishness when somewhere across the world there's folks risking their lives to get to the house of God. We ought to cherish the Word of God. It ought to mean something to us. It's a privilege to have the Word of God, and we ought not treat it lightly. I want to say a word not only about the privilege of hearing, but I want to say a word about the purpose of hearing God's Word. Do you know that God does nothing on accident? There's purpose for everything that God does. God doesn't give us something except He expects us to do something with it. You're here tonight because God wants to do something in your heart. I'm here tonight because God wants to do something in my heart. It's not lost on God that there's a hundred thousand places we could have been. But we're here tonight, and there's purpose behind that. Every time we hear the Word of God, there's a purpose. And I want you to notice what it says in our passage. We're skipping around a little bit, but look at verse 25. The Word of God says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This gives us our expected response to the hearing of the Word of God. What do we do with the Bible when we hear it? What do we do with it when we read it? Well, I want you to notice three things. First off, I want you to notice that it's our responsibility to observe the Word of God. What does it say? Look at it again. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. I'll tell you why a lot of Christians have a dead walk with Christ. It's because they don't ever spend any time listening to Him. I've been doing some study, and I'm going to try not to get myself in too much trouble tonight, but I've been doing some study into this contemplative prayer movement that is becoming such an important part of Christianity today. This notion that, that prayer is merely a transcendental experience through the emptying of one's mind so that God might in a supernatural way speak something to us. And let me say that that is one of the most poisonous and dangerous heresies that can inflict itself on the modern church. Let me tell you why. It's rooted in Eastern mysticism. And Eastern mysticism provides an emotional experience that though it may not be valid, it is certainly real to those that partake in it. You say, why does that matter, preacher? That matters because it gives unregenerate sinners a means to have an emotional experience that is completely divorced from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Through the meditation, uh, through the, through the, the counting of beads, through the repetition and chanting of words. It gives them a means to build themselves up into an emotional fervor and quote-unquote experience something. Let me say that not everything that you can experience that is real is valid. There's plenty of stuff in this world that you can experience that's real, but that doesn't mean it's of God. Now you say, preacher, why are you saying this? I'm saying this for this reason, because with that movement is coupled a vital, vital practice, and that is the disregard of the preached Word of God. Why? There's a real focus on us talking to Him. But not many folks are interested in Him talking to us. 
it's vital if we're going to have a relationship with the Lord that He do some talking to us. And that only... Listen now. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit of God does not impress things upon our hearts. There are times that He does. But the primary means of God speaking to His people is through His revealed, inspired, infallible Word. That's how He communicates to us. And one of the reasons that God has given us this is so that we might read it, so that we might observe it, so that we might hear it, so that it might be a part of our lives. Some folks have a dead walk with Christ because they don't ever spend any time listening to Him. They don't ever open His Word and hear what He has to say. And because they never open it, they never open it. Did you get what I just said? Because they never open it, they never open it. That's the funny thing about this book. The more that you forsake it, the more you'll forsake it. The more you turn away from it, the more you'll turn away from it. And by the same token, the more you read it, the more you'll read it. I'm not trying to t- twist you up in words. I'm saying that if you make it a habit to shut this book and set it on a shelf and not let it have any part in your life, it won't have any part in your life. It'll mean nothing to you. The first thing we have to do is we have to look into the perfect law of liberty. We have to observe what God says to us. Let me give you a second thing. Not only do we have to observe it, we have to absorb it. Look what it says. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and what? And continueth therein. Oh, there's lots of folks tonight that are going to get a glimpse into the perfect law of liberty. But now here's the question. Will you receive and absorb what's given to you? Will you look like the man beholding his face in a natural glass? Will you glance and then walk away and forget what manner of person that you were? Or will you continue therein? You see, there's plenty of folks. This ain't talking. Listen now. This ain't talking about the folks down at the mosque. This ain't talking about the folks down at the, at the Bethel Temple downtown. This isn't talking about the atheists that are in the bars. This is talking about church-going folks. That's who this is talking about. The hearers of the Word. Not the hearers of the lies and the deceit and the mistruths. Oh, they've got a whole heap and help of problems. But no, it's not talking about them. It's talking about the church folks. It's talking about those of us that hear the Word of God. There's plenty of folks that will hear and turn around and walk out those double doors and do nothing about it. They'll hear, and you know what they'll say? They'll say, well, that was good for somebody. No, friend, that was good for you because you're here tonight. God knew you'd be here tonight. God knew I'd be here tonight. Hey, listen, if anybody's going to complain about preaching, it ought to be me because I get it more than any of y'all. Amen? Right? Right? I mean, y'all might lay out and get a break sometimes. I don't ever get a break from myself. I get it all the time. And I'm saying that there's a danger of going and hearing and amening and rejoicing and saying yes, and then turning around and leaving and saying that that was for somebody else. Looketh into the perfect law of liberty and then continueth therein. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't spend much time in front of a mirror. You'd never guess that. I know you wouldn't. But I don't spend much time in a mirror. I can't stomach it. I heard one preacher say one time, he said, I thought about getting a facelift for your benefit. Amen. One thing about it, I don't ever hardly have to look at... You, I have a say in whether I have to look at me. Amen? And so I don't spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, but one thing about it, you can tell the difference between those that do and those that don't. Come on now. You can tell the difference between those that do and those that don't. 
And I'm not, I'm not talking about a point of vanity here tonight. I'm just saying you can tell the difference between those that spend time in front of the mirror and those that don't. And by the same token, you can tell those that spend time in front of the mirror and those that don't. You can tell those that just get a glancing look. You can tell those that the Spirit of God nudges on their heart and says, Yeah, you need to get that right. And they say, Some other time. And they walk on. And those that, despite all the brutality and ugliness that that mirror may hold, despite all of the moles and the warts and the wrinkles that it shows, will behold into it and say, Lord, I want you to tell me everything you've got to say about me. I want to hear everything, Lord. We've got to be willing to observe, but we've got to be willing to absorb. And then finally, what do we do about it? We've got to be willing to obey. Look what it says. It says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a what? A doer of the work. Sounds to me like he's seeing what needs to be took care of, and he's getting it took care of. Oh, my. Boy, let me tell you something. Christians never lie more than when invitation time comes around. And I'm not trying to pad for an altar call. I don't want a bunch of hypocrites. If God don't deal with you, then, then I don't want you trying to go and, and be a hypocrite and make it like He did deal with you. But I'm merely saying that when altar call time comes, that's when we really turn into liars. Because all the stuff that God's done for the past 30, 40, 45, if it's here, it might be an hour and a half, all of a sudden now we don't even know what God's talking about when He's talking to us. He says, hey, you remember what I told you? You need to do something about that. And we say, no, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, we're willing to listen. And sometimes you can see it, white knuckle clenching the pew. God's dealing with them. There they are face to face with that mirror. They know what's wrong in their life. But then it comes time to obey. And they say, no, Lord, I won't. I won't. That right there. That's when your spiritual life dies. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about growing. You won't grow unless you're willing to be obedient. That's just a flat truth of it. You won't grow unless you're willing to let God speak to you and listen to Him and obey what He's told you you need to do. You won't grow without doing that. Notice not only the privilege of hearing God's Word, And notice not only the purpose of hearing God's Word, but notice the penalty of dismissing God's Word. Look what it says, verse number 22. It says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, this is where a lot of Christians are today. They're deceived. They're deceived into believing they're okay with God. They're deceived into feeling like everything's okay, everything's all right. And they deceive themselves just long enough to get out of the service and get out of the preaching and go back into the anesthetic world that we live in. Go back into the paralysis of everyday existence where the sharp sword of the Word of God can gain no penetration through the reality TV, through the nonsense magazines, through the stream of social media through every distraction that they can accrue to themselves to try to keep the Word of God from gaining a foothold in their life. They're just trying to get out to that place of deception where they can dwell. They're deceiving their own selves. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with this book. 
There's probably not a person in this room that don't own one of these. It may not look like that. It may not be leather. It may not be genuine leather. It might be bonded. It might be paperback. But I'd almost guarantee you there's not a person in here that does not have one of these books. That does not have a copy of the Word of God. Do you realize that when you accepted that book, you purchased to yourself a lot of responsibility? It wasn't just the, the, uh, the polite and congenial reception of a graduation gift or of a birthday gift. You took a sword in your hands, and you have a choice what to do with it. And there's a penalty that comes with dismissing the Word of God. Now, right here is where we're going to have some decisions to make. I'm being honest with you now. Right now, some of you are going to have to decide what you're going to do with the next few minutes of this message. Because you're either going to listen, you're either going to look in the mirror, you're either going to listen to what God has to say, and you're going to respond, or you're going to shut it off, one of the two. So you've got a choice to make. Notice what we see here. For those that dismiss the Word of God, I want you to notice first off that they are without ignorance. Look what it says in verse number 23. It says, For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. We know the picture, many of us do, of the man looking in the mirror. One thing about a mirror, <laughs> now we don't get none of those snow white mirrors that we get to ask questions to. The mirror tells no lies. Some of them in them stores does, I think. But for the most part, the mirror tells no lie. And you look in that mirror and you see yourself. You're not, it's one thing to ask folks' opinions. When you get married, you get asked some of the most dangerous questions that anyone will ever ask you. Things like, how do I look in this? You know? Dangerous. It's a landmine, amen? But it's one thing to ask somebody else. I'll talk to my wife sometimes. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll ask her, I'll say, how do I look in this? And I can tell she's lying. <laughs> no. Here's the thing. She's not lying. Because that's how she sees me. Isn't that true? That's how she sees me. But the mirror has no biases. The mirror has no preferences. The mirror tells you the truth. What does the Bible say about some Christians? It says comparing themselves amongst themselves are unwise. I'll tell you, the problem with a lot of our Christianity today is it's coming from what other people's opinions are about us, good and bad. And we're looking around. You know what we're saying? We're saying, I may not be where I need to be, but I'm better than so-and-so. And we've got this nasty little pack in, in church Christianity today. And I'm going I'm to pull the, the, the blanket off of it right now. This is the nasty little pack that's going on in churches today. Is if you won't say anything about my backsliddenness, I won't say anything about your backsliddenness. And we can both be backslidden. Both of us knowing we're not where we need to be. But I won't tell you if you won't tell me. All the while, everyone knowing that we're not where we need to be. Old Vance Habner, you say that most Christians are so in such bad shape, you'd have to backslide to have fellowship with them. I think it's probably true of a lot of us. In such a condition. But what do we do? We don't look in the mirror. No, we go to our friend and we say, how do I look? How do I look? But the mirror, it tells all. The mirror says it for what it is. What does the mirror say about you? What does the Word of God say about you? You see, when you look into this mirror, you're without ignorance. You can't plea ignorance anymore. It'll tell you for what you are. It'll tell you for what you are. There's lots of folks in this world today that's headed to hell on the road of morality. 
And when you ask them, what's your spiritual condition? They'll say, I'm a good person. But that's not the answer to your spiritual condition. But what are they saying? They're saying, according to everyone else, I'm pretty good. What does the mirror say? The mirror says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous. No, no. That's what the mirror says. And the mirror doesn't lie. What about us Christians? We live in a day of casual Christianity, don't we? We live in a day where God operates on our time schedule and in our comfort zone, or at least we like to, we like to fantasize that He does. And we assume that because society accepts our Christianity, God will accept our Christianity. But what does the mirror say? The mirror says, No man having set his hand to the plow and turning back is worthy of me. What, is the, what does the mirror say? The mirror says, except you hate your mother and your father, your brothers and your sisters. Oh, that's not a message of hate. That's a message of comparative love. You know that. It's saying that our love for the Savior should be so superlative to any earthly relationship we might have that by comparison it would seem hate. What does the mirror say? The mirror says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The mirror doesn't say, if you love me and don't have any good excuses, keep my commandments. The mirror says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, this makes us without ignorance. It tells us for what we are. We measure our Christianity upon the discipleship that Christ expected out of His followers. Most of us will come up short. This preacher will come up short. What did Christ say? He said, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Most of us are doing everything that we can to try to lower our standards. Christ said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You see, we're without ignorance. But let me give you a second thing. For those that hear the Word but do not do it, we see that they are without ignorance. But I want you to notice that the Word of God is without effect. Without effect. This Bible right here will only change your life in as much as you obey it. If you don't obey it, don't expect it to change anything. The relationship that we have with the Lord is one of obedience. You can read this Bible cover to cover, and it means nothing if you don't obey it. You can join every church that you could find that would gain you membership. You can be baptized every which way that can be invented. It won't mean anything unless you learn to be obedient to the Word of God. This is the only thing that can change your life. And it's a matter of obedience. We don't, we don't learn this through osmosis. We learn it through observation, and it becomes effective through obedience. And if you won't obey it, it won't fix your marriage. If you won't obey it, it won't fix your family. If you won't obey it, it won't make you a soul winner. If you won't obey it, it won't fix your prayer life. You've got to obey it. And if you don't, it's without effect. It means nothing. It's dead. Absolutely dead to you. We treat this like it's abracadabra or open sesame. Like it's some magical incantation. That, oh, if we just, if we just read the Word, if we just read the Word. I've heard people say all the time, say that when you're, when you're persecuted by Satan, uh, you just have to quote Scripture at him. The Bible never says that. The Bible says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Obedience. Obe- do what you know to do when you know to do it, and God will do the rest. It's without effect. But I want to give you a final thing, and then I'm done. 
I would say that when we hear the Word and don't do it, not only are we without ignorance, and not only is it without effect, but you and I, we're without excuse at the judgment seat of Christ. We're without excuse. Boy, we're, we, all, we all get pretty, pretty rough on Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, don't we? Oh, that old Sodom and Gomorrah. What a wicked place. And yet, what did Christ say? What did Christ say about certain cities in Israel? said that if Sodom and Gomorrah had had the same preaching that you've got, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What about old Nineveh? Eight words that Jonah says as he walks through the city. And it broke the back of an entire society. But us, no, that ain't enough for us. We need the dance teams. We need the smoke screens. We need their entertainment. Because we're not spiritual enough to just be obedient. See, at the end of the day, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, I won't. Yeah, you will. Paul said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. You'll stand there one day. You say, well, God will understand. What makes you think God would understand? Where did God say He'd make an exception for your apathy? God never said that. No, you know what He did say? He said that some will be beaten with few stripes and some will be beaten with many. He said that, uh, that where much is received, much is required. In fact, you'll find, let me just read it to you, one final verse and then I'll be done. Listen to what the Word of God says. I believe I've got it in front of me. He says, to take heed how ye hear. Take heed how ye hear. For where much is received, much is required. It's not just important that we hear, and it's not just important what we hear. It's important how we hear. How are we hearing the Word of God tonight? Now, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to fuss at the Wednesday night crowd. But some of you all may have turned me off at point number two when I quit, when I quit talking about stuff that we all like. But I hope if you've not yet, I hope that if God spoke to your heart, you'll not only observe it, you'll not only absorb it, but you'll be obedient to it tonight. How we treat the Word of God will dictate the substance of our spiritual walk. What are you going to do with it tonight?